Kia ora Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Comedian Ella McRoy with me this afternoon. Also, Nalini Baruch from Lot 8 uh, is also with us. Uh, to this first, a fire has reportedly broken out at a nuclear power plant due to continuous shelling. Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is the largest in Europe. It's understood to be the ninth largest nuclear power plant in the world. According to a telegram message posted by an employee at the plant, Russian troops fired at the nuclear facility and it appears to have been caused by continuous shelling of the plant's buildings and units, according to Mayor Dmitry Orlov living nearby. Ukraine has four active nuclear power plants. And Ukraine's President Zelensky has accused Moscow of resorting to nuclear terror and wanting to repeat the Chernobyl disaster after he said Russian forces shot at a nuclear power plant. John Erith is Policy Director for the Centre for Arms Control and Non-Proliferation in Washington, D.C. John, how concerning is this? I think uh, we have to take this very seriously. I don't uh, know exactly what is going on. I don't think anybody does. As with many aspects of the conflict in Ukraine, it can be very hard to separate fact from propaganda. But it does seem that there is fighting going on around a nuclear power plant. There have been reports of fire and explosions. And that is something to be taken very seriously because, obviously, it is a very dangerous kind of place. Do we know what type of nuclear power plant it is? I know that it is a very large nuclear power plant that provides a great deal of energy for Ukraine and the surrounding area. It is inevitable, isn't it, John, that the mind drifts towards those comparisons with Chernobyl. Is that fair? Is it accurate or not particularly relevant? Uh, it's, It's accurate to say that a report of a fire in or around a nuclear power plant is always a cause for concern. But the thing to note is this. Nuclear power plants are very large. Everybody knows where they are. You cannot hide them. And... The fact that there is fighting around a plant means that it was done intentionally. The Russian forces are attacking that area and that plant specifically with an objective in mind. Most likely it would be to deprive people in Ukraine of access to electric power. They understand the risks of setting off high explosives around a great deal of radioactive material. So this is being done intentionally, and it's being done to send a message, as with most actions that the Russians are undertaking in this conflict. This conflict is escalating, isn't it, pretty quickly, um, and very tragically. And as the policy director for the Center for Arms Control and uh, Non-Proliferation in Washington, how concerned are you about... Uh, a next phase or a a phase of nuclear escalation, if you like? Obviously, a nuclear war would have catastrophic consequences for everybody. Uh, This is something that uh, we all know, and it's known in Moscow as well. Uh, The Russian leadership, while being uh, very aggressive towards its neighbors, is nevertheless rational and will want to avoid a general nuclear war. That said, they also know that everybody else wants to avoid a nuclear war. And so they are using the threat of the possibility that uh, 
the conflict could develop a nuclear dimension to try to warn other countries to stay out, to stop providing military support to Ukraine, and to let them do what they want on the territory of their neighbor. So this is the kind of threat that has to be taken very seriously. It, it provides a higher level of danger to the world. I don't think that anybody is talking about setting off a nuclear weapon yet, but the danger is greater than it was a week ago. I really appreciate your time, John. Uh, thank you. That is John Erith, the policy, policy director for the Center for Arms Control and Non-Proliferation in Washington. John, thank you. You're very welcome. And the latest uh, being the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, reported that it has spoken with the Ukrainian leadership. It has been told that essential equipment at the plant is still functioning. So needless to say, just echoing what uh, John Erith there uh, in Washington said, Nalini, well, what do you say? Just concerning, and here we are talking about uh, uh, a a possible uh, nuclear aspect to this um, war, conflict. And the thing thing we forget, Wallace, we, we always worry about that person who has a finger on that button that could launch a missile, but we forget that actually we've got nuclear power plants which could decimate society. I mean, those of us get, that can remember Chernobyl and, and the years and years of harm that followed clearly do not want to see this happen again. And I know that uh, the internet, the IAEA has said that it will be providing assistance, but I, I was wondering if John would be able to tell us. Uh, he's not online anymore, but I wonder in what form they could provide the assistance. Uh, Ellen, news doesn't get any, get any better. No, it's uh, obviously it's it's terrifying. I, I would have liked to ask him. Uh, obviously, it's the it's the largest power plant in Europe. If that was to go up, how wide could the blast reach, and would it actually reach as far as Moscow? Is this not going to have a negative effect on Russia themselves if they were to blow it up? Well, RNZ will be following the story uh, across the uh, across the afternoon and evening uh, into checkpoint and beyond. So. Um, stay. We'll stay with that particular uh, story. There, a fire has reportedly broken out at a nuclear power plant due to continuous shelling, uh, and the nuclear power plant is the largest in Europe. It's understood to be the ninth largest nuclear power plant in the world. It is twelve past four. You're on the panel in uh, National. Another news. Uh, another uh, subjects to come later on in the program. We are talking about um, a particular. We discussed the pay. Gap registry yesterday, as you may recall, and one person says that the current construct of work is just not working. There is a mismatch between the school schedule and the work schedule, and has started a movement. It's called hashtag Work School Hours Movement. And if you can relate to that, why don't you email me the panel at rnz.co.nz? We can text us two one zero one. Can you be fired for attending a protest? An interesting opinion piece and stuff. And I thought it might be worth discussing here. If you have been involved yourself, members of your whatever. whatever, what happens if an employer spots you in a protest on a live feed? There have been warnings by employers 
two employees not to become involved in unlawful activities relating to the occupation. So we thought we might uh, uh, get the person who wrote this opinion piece on the programme with us, and that is employment lawyer Susan Hornsby-Gallick, who is the managing partner at Dundas Street Lawyers. Susan, kia ora. Lovely to have you on. Thanks, Wallace. Nice to be on. Firstly, freedom to protest is a fundamental human right in New Zealand. Am I right? Um, Yeah, look, absolutely it is. It's enshrined in the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act. So um, regardless of what the cause of the protest is or whether the employer agrees with it, uh, the starting point is that employees are entitled to participate uh, in lawful protest in their own time. And that means any protest? There's no particular definition of protest? It could be marching against climate change, the mandates, anti-1080? Does it matter? Um, Well, it it becomes a little nuanced when there is an impact on the employer. So firstly, um, if we take, for example, the Wellington protests this week, uh, they were described generally in the media and by politicians as being unlawful. But simply because the protest itself is unlawful doesn't necessarily mean that every person participating in the protest is engaging in unlawful activity. So... Well, so just for an example, somebody attending the Wellington protest in itself wouldn't necessarily justify dismissal unless those persons were involved in some of that activity, which itself was unlawful. So you're mentioning uh, if the the, uh, protest crosses over into the employer's area of interest. So, for example, what, you're a nurse or a teacher who goes to an anti-mandate protest? Well, actually, there were nurses and teachers there, and um, you know they're entitled to their own personal views as much as anybody. But let's say you were um, somebody employed in a public health promoting role, it would be a little difficult to retain credibility in that role if you were spotted at the anti-mandate protest. So there'd have to be a fairly direct and um, you know, clear link to the nature of the position to disqualify you from your freedom of protest. It would really have to undermine your credibility or the reputation right. of the employer. Right. Uh, let's bring our panellist, uh, Nalini Baruch. Hi, Susan. Um, I'm hi. sort of imagining a, uh, hi. I'm imagining a Venn diagram with private in, in one circle and in, in employer in the other, and then they're overla- overlapping. Um, surely... Um, we would be, or anyone looking at this, would be looking at a case-by-case situation and would probably be looking at issues like proximity and causal harm and links to the employer that that could amount to any sort of financial or reputational loss to the employer. Those matters would need to be taken into account to be able to determine um, whether harm has been done or not. Am I right? Sorry, if the employee has breached employee's obligations. I think that's absolutely the case. So um, an employer couldn't simply say, um, any employee of mine participating in the Wellington protests will be fired. Um, Yeah, absolutely not. You'd have to look at uh, what was the employee's participation at that um, particular event? What's their role? Is that somehow incompatible with it? 
Um, let's say um, an employee was uh, on television news uh, at the front of the protest engaging clearly in mm. some unlawful activity and was identifiable, you know, at that point you're starting to get into territory of undermining the employer's reputation if they're somehow associated with that employer. So there are sort of various shades of grey right from the starting point that um, employees are entitled to engage in protest, but once they you know, cross that line, engage in unlawful activity and undermine the employer's reputation, that then becomes a problem. Right. Alan McRoy. Yeah, I yeah, I agree that, uh, you know, people have the right to protest, but obviously if they're flinging bricks or other stuff, then, you know, your job is at stake. But I, what happens if, if somebody phones in sick, you know, and they're not, they're not throwing bricks, they're not breaking, smashing up playgrounds, but they phone in sick and you can spot them on the news when they should be at work <laughs> and they're in the process. How does, yeah, how does that a really work? That's a good example. Um, no, great example. And I'm sure that has happened uh, over the last few weeks. Um, so then the issue is a different one, and that is that um, the employee has lied to their employer uh, about sick leave. Now, if, for example, um, they hadn't used sick leave but had applied for annual leave um, and had annual leave granted, well, that's fine, that's legit. But actually misusing sick leave is almost like stealing from the employer uh, oh. and in itself is probably dismissible. Good question, Alan. Kia ora for that. Uh, and uh, Susan, nice to have on the programme. Thank you. Uh, that is Susan Hornsby-Gallick, Managing Partner at Dundas Street Lawyers, uh, an employment lawyer. It is 19 past four. You're on the panel, RNZ National, Nalini Baruch and Alan McRoy with me uh, this afternoon. Now, the protesters at Parliament Grounds, they've dispersed in extraordinary scenes this week. Some have moved to other parts of Greater Wellington, uh, including Lower Huts, Wainui and Marai, where they've been... Re- where they have repeatedly tried to gain access since, but have been told that they are not welcome. Police have a presence there now. But there are other encampments over the country, albeit small, but are proving pretty tricky to handle. Uh, New Plymouth's mayor and members of Ngāte Te Fitihapu yesterday evening have said, move on, go home. With us is... Mayor Neil Holden from New Plymouth. And can I just first up say, um, Neil, happy 50th. Oh, kia ora, Wallace. Uh, thank you. It was a couple of days ago, but, yeah, look, really oh. um, appreciate that. And uh, thank you. And, yeah, look, it's been an interesting situation for us in that we've had a, a quite small protest with really around a dozen people um, parked up on our stunning um, City Foreshore walkway uh, since... Saturday, they've been well behaved, um, but uh, highly visible, and um, and so we went and had a conversation with them yesterday and said that you absolutely have the right to protest, um, you absolutely have the right to raise issues around um, mandates and passports with government, um, and it's clear that that message has been heard, but um, they're in breach of a, a city bylaw and the Freedom Camping Act, which. Um, so camping is prohibited, and so we've said, look, you've had your time, and we really want a peaceful resolution because our primary concern was that um, as people move away from Wellington uh, following a, a really shocking Wednesday, um, that they may decide to come here and that we didn't want the violence um, and the environmental mm. degradation, etc., spilling over. Neil, how set up are they? 
Oh, look, as I say, these people are really well behaved. The, the, no, but in terms of the, the infrastructure... A few marquees, few marquees yeah. um, one of those easy ups and a bunch of tents. There's about 10 tents there. Um, so they, they haven't built a stage or plumbed in a toilet or anything. Yeah, all right, Nelly. Neil, I, happy birthday as well, even though belated. Um, Neil, I really appreciate the fact that you've just said that you have consulted with these protesters, you've listened to them, and upon listening to them, you have said to them, it's time to disband, you should, you should be leaving. The reason I, I particularly focus on that is because I think that is fundamentally what went wrong in Wellington is that in the first week or upon arrival, had somebody made an effort, had a politician on either side of the house made an effort to listen, that we wouldn't have got to the 23 days that we've done. So all credit to you for talking to these protesters. Um, legally, now that you have done that, you have officially advised them to leave, they are trespassing. So you've got rights now to, to move them on. It's now going to come down to how you actually manage to do that without any force. Yeah, look, Am I right? to clarify, um, we, the, the, because camping is prohibited both under the Freedom Camping Act and through our bylaw, um, there's a process to go through. So we just asked them if they would move on of their own free will because we think that would be the best um, case scenario for everyone. But we indicated that if they didn't, that we would serve them paperwork. Um, and it's actually a notice of breach, which is slightly different from a trespass order. Um, and then we have rights to remove um, their equipment, et cetera, and store it in a safe place. Um, and we, look, we've just been liaising with police, but our goal is that we can just find a, a peaceful resolution that works for everybody, that just allows everybody the peaceful enjoyment of that wonderful part of our yeah. coastal force. Alan McElroy. I just want to say happy birthday as well, uh, your honourable I don't know what to tell you. This is not a birthday uh, call. It's not a birthday it, call. He had his birthday you started two days ago. It. You started it. <laughs> yeah. So I just know I'm not saying I'm not saying this is something that I'm not saying this is something that you would do or you should do. But if somebody in the middle of the night got the end of the wind wand and attached it to a tent and then just let it go, would that help get rid of uh, some of those tents? Uh, well, I think we're very focused on safety around here, but I think the wind wand would be up for it. Our concern was that um, these people are part of our community as well, and we want to show care and respect for them. Um, but I, I've, I've, you've drawn a picture in my mind that it does bring a smile to my face. But um, Well, that's, that's I, I what I'm here I'm for. Thank we you can very find much. a way forward. Yeah, welcome to the panel, Neil, where you'll get all points of views here, including uh, tents and wind wands. Um, but anyway, Neil, kia ora. Thanks for being with us on uh, the panel here. Um, Got to protect that beautiful wind wand. Have you been to New Plymouth, uh, Alan? Yeah, I've gigged there a few times. I love it. Mm, it's great. So do I. It's fantastic, isn't it? Now, yesterday we talked about the one special item in your home, and boy, were we overwhelmed with texts. Kitty told us about her letter from Princess Grace of uh, Monaco, Monaco, Glenn texted about his wooden propeller from a tiger moth, and John is the proud owner of a guitar pick owned by George Harrison. The list goes on. In fact, there were so many special stories, we decided to share a few today. Now, this includes Leslie, who texted in about her grandmother's beautiful Ponamu heart dating from 1915 World War I. Welcome to the program, Leslie. Thank you, Wallace. Lovely to have you on, Leslie. This really uh, stood out for me. So special. Tell us about it. Well, it's um, a Punamu heart, uh, and I think it's the Kawakawa 
stain of Panamu. It's um, the dark green, really, you know, forest green mm. color with the black flecks in it. Now, it dates from my grandparents' marriage, or or from the First World War, should I say. They married in 1915. And um, my... Um, Grandfather, I have a photo of him in army uniform. Uh, his wedding photo is in army uniform, but also uh, one of him at Trentham Camp. And apparently they did actually set sail for Europe, but the war ended um, before they reached there. So that must have been 1918. Mm. Anyway, the real tragedy of the story is that um, my uh, grandparents were killed in a, a dreadful accident at Mackay's Crossing, um, ne- just out of Paikakariki on the Kapiti Coast in 1926. And um, with my my mother as a child, she was barely six, and um, she was in the in the accident as well, but survived and. So I, the only memento of my grandmother I have is the Panamu heart, oh. and the um, and her engagement ring and a few photos. What a special uh, item! And you say that you still wear, or you do wear it, Leslie, and uh, you know you wear it to a uh, tangi and the likes, and it's always commented on. Commented on, yes. Um, it it's very special. It's sort of like pearls, you know, when you wear it to your skin, it warms up. And um, yes, inevitably, if I go to a funeral, I, um, I, for example, some years ago, I went to my dear friend Jonathan Manefioki's funeral, and I remember his relations or one of his uh, cousins commenting on it. Um, And also I remember way back when I was in my 20s being stopped in the street in Lambton Quay (laughs) and asked asked about it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, it's very, um, it is very special. Well, kia ora, Leslie. Thank you so much for your story and sharing this, uh, yeah, wonderful uh, uh, image, I guess, of this um, beautiful uh, Painamu heart. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to tell it. And I'll be interested to hear some of the other um, special mementos. Indeed. Well, another person who texted in was Stephen Wellington, who joins me now to share his piece of history with us. Uh, kia, ora, kia ora, Steve. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for um, having me on the show. Pleasure. What's yours? Um, I, I was a young police officer in the mid-70s. I joined up early 1976 um, and um, the New Zealand police later changed the uniform from what was, I guess, a traditionally English-styled uniform with the, you know, black helmet um, for nighttime, a white helmet uh, for daytime, and um, a, um, yeah, black tunic and trousers and tie, so forth. Um, and then we changed it, I think, probably about 77 or 78. Um, so, of course, even though it was police property, it was no longer... Um, uh, I guess needed and so I fortunately uh, was able to retain it and I guess yesterday afternoon I was listening to your show and, and when you asked for people to just you know uh, put in things yeah. or items um, in light of events of this week in particular in the last few weeks I, I guess I just felt incredibly moved by um, 
the men and women of New Zealand police and just how, mm-hmm. I guess, dignified and um, how challenging a time it's been. Um, and even though I left the police force at the end of 19, um, the late 70, yeah, end of 1979, um, even to this day, whenever I see police officers, I yeah, just feel a huge amount of respect for them, the job that they have to do, what they have to deal with. And, um, you know, it was mentioned that amongst the 500 police officers um, who came to Wellington to, I guess, support um, the people of Wellington and Greater New Zealand and, and what was happening, um, you know, there were recently graduated police officers. And I suppose, you know, they they join the police force and they do their best every day, not knowing what's ahead of them. And I just wanted to, you know, pass on my thanks. And I guess, you know, there's so many New Zealanders who I believe would be thinking um, along similar lines here. Kia ora, Steve. I really appreciate your sentiments and thank you for sharing that uh, special item with us. Okay, thanks, Wallace. Thank you. Coming up to headlines, um, a lot of people are saying, Happy birthday, Neil. Uh, you don't have to, it's birthday or two days ago. <laughs> um, but actually, some people want to sort of uh, jump on in and say, um, Nalini, the protesters at Parliament were threatening to hang politicians from the time of their arrival. Speaking to people who threaten your life, it's impossible. Tell your guest you're dreaming. Nice. I absolutely agree. There's no way should those people be given a voice. But the pe- there are also people there with a legitimate voice. We can't ignore these people. It'll just fester and grow into a bigger problem. That's my concern, Wallace. Right. You're on the panel, Arnz National. Do you agree with uh, Nalini on that particular is- uh, issue? It's certainly been the issue of the week, hasn't it, uh, the protests? Uh, you're on the panel, Arnz National. To come, we are going to be talking about uh, a New Zealand Paralympian and wheelchair rugby player who really wants uh, an accessible ride, a user-friendly ride for people to get around on. An important story, interesting story that to come.